Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Good to be uh, back in the OC. Yesterday when I got up in Parker, Colorado, it was 37 degrees. Uh, a very balmy, perfect weather as far as I'm concerned, but uh, good to be back here. We had a wonderful conference yesterday, and uh, both last weekend, uh, the previous weekend in Toronto, and yesterday in uh, Parker, Colorado, I just heard time and time again how many we have who are not seated in the room that call CCT their church home and join us online. And uh, the comment was always associated with the other comment that they cannot find a Bible teaching church. Well, we're going to stick to the book here, as always, including this morning. So uh, glad to be back and uh, please continue to pray for uh, the multitude of things that are coming up on the horizon. I've got one that I want to announce here in a moment. But I also want to say this Wednesday night, we are actually, should the Lord tarry, going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 20. I've been threatening that for a month, but it just might happen this Wednesday. So go ahead and read ahead. And then the other thing that I would like to announce this morning, as far as all the things that Charlie was indicating that are now happening around here, is this. We are headed for Israel in March of next year. Amir Sarfati and I are going to be teaching a trip that begins on March 30th. We'll be coming home the day before Passover. So if you'd like to join us, and we're going to put this out here to the body first, and uh, hopefully we can just limit it to one bus. But uh, if you'd like to sign up, we'll have more information coming in the future. And then also concerning Israel, next November... Myself, Amir Sarfati, Pastor Jack, and hopefully Jan Markell are going to be doing a prophecy conference in Jerusalem. So we're really, really excited about that. I was telling the band in the back, Amir sent me a text and said, Hey, would you be interested in doing a prophecy conference in Jerusalem? I said, Let me pray about it. Amen. Yes. <laughs> are you kidding me? Do I want to teach on prophecy in Jerusalem? Of course. So... Uh, keep that in prayer as well, as well as our times in Perth and uh, Melbourne, Australia, and then uh, later in the beginning of August in Auckland, New Zealand. So a busy time ahead, but so glad to be back home and uh, looking at our PowerPoint word for the year and our verse for the month from Psalm 24. So would you open your Bibles this morning to Psalm chapter 24. Now, if you were with us a couple of years ago, we noted that in the Psalms there are Obviously, five books of Psalms that is broken up into into the 150 chapters or the 150 chapters are broken up into five books. But there's also different types of Psalms. There are royal Psalms, which are declarations of the greatness of God. There are Psalms of Zion that pertain to the city of Jerusalem, many focusing on the temple as a holy place to worship the Lord's name. There are penitential Psalms, Psalms of sorrow and confession of sin, prayers for forgiveness and seeking of restoration. There are wisdom psalms, which often draw contrast between the wisdom of man and the pure wisdom that comes from above, the wisdom of God. There are imprecatory psalms, where most of the time it's King David who is petitioning the Lord for victory over Israel's enemies. There are prophetic or messianic psalms, like Psalm 2. There are Hallel psalms, or praise psalms as well. We also encountered ceremonial psalms used in the high holy days, like the Psalms of Ascent from Psalm 120 to 134. Now, our psalm is interesting this morning. 
in that Josephus tells us that Psalm 24 was sung by seven choirs of singers and musicians at uh, when David, rather, brought the ark into Jerusalem and set the ark in front of the tabernacle he had prepared for it. And 2 Samuel 6.15 says that David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sound of the trumpet. Now, the heading for this psalm, the inscription, which is usually either introducing the author, the type of music, the circumstances surrounding the psalm, reads in the Septuagint a psalm of David for the first day of the week. Now, thus, Psalm 24 is known as the Sunday Psalm. And it was a celebration prefiguring the coming of the Messiah into his temple. And thus we can identify Psalm 24 as a royal psalm. It's also an antiphonal psalm, meaning that it would be a responsive reading or singing like many churches have practiced over the years. A representative group of Jews would pose a question and the balance of the congregation would respond. As an example from our text, one group would say, who is this king of glory? And the congregation would respond, the Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Now, in light of our word for the year, which we mentioned we're going to find pronounced two different ways, found in two different languages in both the Old and New Testament, the Hebrew word before us is the word Baruch. And it's translated here as blessings. Elsewhere, it's translated as blessed. Now, we could simply title our time the King of Glory this morning, and our time would be well spent. But in light of our word for the year, what I would like us to focus on this morning is that he is the Lord strong and mighty. Amen. But he is our God. He is strong and mighty on our behalf. And our title and topic this morning is simply the blessings of the Lord. And we're going to talk about the blessings of knowing the Lord this morning, the benefits of knowing the Lord, and his power and might as it influences and directs our lives on a daily basis. Now, let me also say this. It's important for us to remember that as Christians, we do not observe Shabbat. We do not observe the Sabbath. The Sabbath, according to Exodus sixteen twenty nine, was given to the Jews. Mark 2, 27 and 28, Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also the Lord of the Sabbath. And then Paul would say in Romans 14, 5, that one person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, one thing we need to know is that the church has always met on the first day of the week. The church has always met on the first day of the week according to the Jewish calendar, which is Sunday. The church has never met on Shabbat. That is for the Jews. What day of the week did Jesus rise from the dead? Early in the morning on what day? The first day of the week. That's why the church meets on Sunday. Now listen, it's not morally wrong to go to church on Shabbat as a Christian, but it is morally wrong to say that you have to. Listen, the church has always met on Sunday, and there have been recent departures from that practice uh, by religious groups and others. Now, the Sunday psalm is important to us today because it reminds us that the tabernacle and temple were both home to an object that was symbolic of the presence of God, that being the Ark of the Covenant, which was prefiguring, again, the future home of the presence of God on the earth. 
Now, a reminder for you and I, from 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, Paul says, do you not know that your body is the what? Is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own. For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which belong to who? Which are God's. Now, this is the heart of Psalm 24 on the personal level. On the prophetic level, it predicts the Messiah and his millennial reign on earth. And we also need to remember that the temple of the Holy Spirit at this time is not in Jerusalem. The temple of the Holy Spirit is you and is me. Somebody say amen. So let's look at our psalm in our typical three sections. And we'll find three blessings this morning from knowing the Lord. So would you stand and read with me, please? The whole of Psalm 24, all 10 verses, and we will find the blessings of the Lord within them. Read with me, please. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, lift up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Boy, doesn't that make you want to shout amen or something? Father, we do thank you for this text this morning, this Sunday psalm that reminds us of not only your greatness, your might, and your power, but your presence in our lives. That you have sent your spirit to us as a guarantee of our future inheritance and glory with you. And we thank you for that which is in front of us today. And help us, Lord, to leave this place more confident in our assurance that you are with us. And more bold in our willingness to proclaim that you're coming again and still mighty to save. Bring us to that end, we pray, through our time in your matchless word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. King David really begins where we should begin, not just on Sunday, but every single day, by remembering that the Lord is strong and mighty. That's not just a saying, that's a fact. And he draws from the creation narrative to do so in our opening two verses, pointing us back to Genesis 1, 6 to 10, where God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning was the second day. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. You know, I don't know how many of you are met with those outside of certain grocery stores that want to save the ocean. And uh, I get pounded with that every time I go to a certain store. I'm not going to tell you the name, but it's initials or Whole Foods. And there's always, 
somebody hanging around outside that wants to save something. And my mind always goes back to Genesis 8.22. The Lord said, you know what? The ordinances that I have set in place to water the earth and the cycles that I have initiated, they're all going to continue until the end of time. Listen, God's got this giant dirt cloud under control. Amen? And of course we ought to take care of the earth. We ought to clean our own house, right? But the fact is, this is, I like how John MacArthur puts it, this is a disposable planet. There's coming a new one. And he is going to uh, create it again in its initial state. Uh, David, again, as I said, reaches all the way back to creation for good reason. And it's the same reason the devil tries to explain away creation through the story of or theory of evolution. And that is to deny that the Lord is the king of glory, the Lord strong and mighty. David reaches again back to the beginning and says the earth is the Lord's. And everything and everyone on it and in it is a result of God's creative power. And the land and the sea were divided by him. And the waters of the firmament or the heavens, the atmosphere, are divided from the waters on the surface of the earth. God also divided the waters on the surface of the earth from the dry land and called them seas. Now listen, much of the hopelessness, disrespect, and disregard for human life and the rampant immorality that we see in our day is related to the world's God perspective. They don't see him as the God of the Bible. They don't see, don't see him as the Lord strong and mighty. And listen, if there's no God, there's no afterlife. And if there's no afterlife, there's no hope. And there's certainly no one to fear. And each person, therefore, is free to do what is right in their own eyes. Now, we mention frequently how frequently the authors of Scripture will point back to the creation narrative to remind us of the greatness and the majesty of our God. And we have brought this up so we could well understand how often this is attached to the basic principles and directives in Scripture because it establishes God's right by authority over his creation. But it also reminds us of his divine capability. Now, this is part of the purpose of this royal psalm. Listen, if God can found the seas, and if he he can establish and set their boundaries, and all the earth and its inhabitants are his, then he is therefore established as the Lord strong and mighty. Now, here's the first thing I want you to consider concerning the blessings of the Lord as they personally relate to you and I. And here's just a very simplistic reminder that I hope we keep in our hearts and minds from this day forward. And here it is. Listen this morning. A God who can create everything is able to handle anything. A God who can create everything is able to handle anything. And listen, what was written in the verses that will follow that we'll revisit here in a moment is already a reality for you and I. We're not waiting for the Lord to enter the temple. We are the temple. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the triune Godhead. And what is true of the Father and Son is true of the Spirit as well. And Romans 8, 9 through 11 reminds us, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of Christ or the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who does what? Dwells in you. 
Listen, the Jews were waiting for the Messiah to enter the temple. We are the temple and the Lord has entered into us. And the same God who says, let there be light and there was light lives in us. And if he can create everything, he can handle anything that comes our way. Listen, the same God who wrote enough information on the spine of a DNA molecule to build your body and mine lives in us. The same God who wrote the information code to build your body that tells the blood to flow through the veins and coagulate when it hits the air lives in you. The same God who designed the incredible complexity of the human eye lives in you. The same God who is going to, at his word, cast the devil and his angels into the lake of fire forever lives in you. Now, Psalm 113, 1-9 also reminds us to praise the Lord. Say praise the Lord this morning. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. Here's why. The Lord is high above the nations. His glory is above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth? He raises the poor out of the dust. He lifts the needy out of the ash heap that he may seat him with princes, with the princes of his people. He grants the barren woman a home like a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. Now, that's who we serve. That's who dwells in us. A God who can be trusted and need never be doubted, whose deeds and actions are not subject to human approval. And when we studied Psalm 24 a few years ago, we made a point from this very section that it's our God perception that determines our life perspective. And we need to recognize who our God is and how active and how frequently he participates in all the things going on in our lives, including the things that come our way that are difficult. Listen, God will never bring you to what he won't get you through. And if he can speak everything into existence, he can handle anything that comes our way. And you are the temple of his Holy Spirit. And I am the temple of his Holy Spirit today. And we're not waiting for him to arrive. If you've been born again, he already lives in you. Listen. If he can make the seas and set their boundaries, if he can hang the earth on nothing and name a number of the stars, he's got our stuff well in control. Somebody say amen. Amen. Now, let's be reminded again from verses 3 through 6, another blessing of the Lord. Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol... Nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. There's our PowerPoint. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Now, we find the antiphonal element of this psalm becoming clear here as we see a question posed and then a response given. Now, when reciting the Sunday psalm, the first group would ask, Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? And this would be met with the congregational response of he who has clean hands and a pure heart. Now, in essence, one of the pilgrims, and these would often be recited on the way uh, to Jerusalem for one of the feast days, or this would be read rather. Someone would say, who may go up to Jerusalem and stand in such a holy place? To which the other group would reply, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully. 
Now, the response portion brings our minds back to the ten pretty good ideas. What are they? Ten commandments. And having no other gods before him or making graven images of him, as as well as not bearing false witness. And therefore, it's simply a reminder to honor the Lord and serve the Lord and live a life that is right before him. That's what's implied by the responsive portion of the reading. Now, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 1-8, we're told, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to do what? To please God. Remember, walk is a metaphor for living out your life. So our life ought to be pleasing to God. For you know how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, to be set apart from your former self. That you, and here's how you do that. You should abstain from sexual immorality. Somebody say amen. Amen. And that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to what? Uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. We have a lot of people rejecting God today in this particular capacity. Rejecting God's definition of sexual purity and that sex is to be reserved strictly between a married man and woman. And others are saying in our world today, that's too antiquated. We don't believe in that anymore. We don't even believe that a sexual relationship has to be limited to a man and a woman. It can be a same-sex relationship. Listen, when people go down that avenue, and many churches today are becoming what they call gay-affirming churches, welcoming those even into the pulpit who are uh, homosexual, and that is their sexual choice and preference, they're not rejecting man. They're not rejecting ordinances of any given church or denomination. They're rejecting God because it's God who has established this. It is God who has set the boundaries for sexual activity and limited that to a man-woman within a marriage relationship. Are you here today? Now, this is the heart of the Sunday Psalm. The clean hands and pure heart represent outward moral purity. And the pure heart represents our motives. And the two are packaged together because it is possible to be unsaved yet be an outwardly good person. But listen, the heart has to be changed in order to worship the Lord. The heart has to be purified by the blood of Jesus. Now, verse 5 says, the person who has clean hands and a pure heart is going to receive blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Now, interestingly, verse 6 then says, this is Jacob, the generation who seeks him and his face. Now, that means they're seeking after his attributes and his character, his greatness and his moral uh, instructions to us as his followers. Now, this is critical for us to see in that clean hands or a pure heart are something we receive, not achieve. They come from the Lord, not good works, not religious observance, not riding your bike in the neighborhood, not standing on a corner selling magazines. Clean hands and a pure heart are blessings from God. Now, here's why I think this is so 
wonderful for you and I, and I really hope you embrace this next point, especially some of you uh, who may deal with some decisions in the past. Anybody ever made a dumb decision? One that you carry with you today and wish you could change it? I certainly have a myriad of those things. But here's what the Lord is saying in this section from 3 to 6. Listen, nothing in our past can keep us from his presence. Nothing in our past can keep us from his presence. Now, David is talking about the nation. He's talking to the nation, but he doesn't use Israel to describe the nation. He uses Jacob. Now, then he says, those who have clean hands and a pure heart are those who seek him. Not just his hand, but his face, his attributes, as we said a moment ago. Now, this is a wonderful pairing of divine sovereignty and human responsibility. David is saying is what he's saying is that while there is an ethnic people group associated with the hill of the Lord, the descendants of Jacob, it is those among them who have sought the Lord and received blessings of clean hands and a pure heart from the Lord who are his. And David is teaching what we would call an imputed righteousness from the God of our salvation. Paul was writing about the same thing in first Thessalonians four that we read earlier. And thus, the New Testament teaches also an imputed righteousness, righteousness being placed into our account, regardless of our past, from the God of our salvation. Now, obviously, this happens through the avenue of being born born again. You must be born again. The Holy Spirit is not going to dwell in someone who is dead spiritually. And that is when we agree with God about our sinful state and with God about his provision of a savior, then we are going to be born again. And then the Holy Spirit is going to move in. And then we are going to be the temple of God's spirit. Now, both testaments agree that those who enjoy the imputed righteousness of God are going to show outward evidence of an inward transformation or in a word, holiness. Now, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, Paul says this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That's pretty straightforward, right? The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, therefore, that should create a real curiosity as to, well, then how do I stop being unrighteous and become righteous? And then Paul says, do not be deceived, which implies there'll be efforts to do so. Neither fornicators, people who have sex outside of God's prescribed boundaries, nor idolaters, those who worship things other than him, nor adulterers, those who cheat on their mate, nor what? homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such, what's the next word? Were some of you. There's repentance from sin right there. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by what? The spirit of our God. Now, the end result of this instantaneous imputation of righteousness into our account leads to this. Ephesians 4, 25 to 30 says, therefore, put away what? Lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer. But rather let him labor, working with his hands, what is good, that he may have something to give him who is in need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, 
that it may impart grace to the hearers and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were what? Sealed for the day of redemption. Now, I want you to think about this. Jacob means heel catcher. Now, as we would understand that, it actually means a supplanter, somebody who trips other people up. But listen, the past did not keep Jacob from God's presence. And as the Lord changed Jacob from supplanter to one governed by God, which is the meaning of Israel, it can also be translated as prince of God, God is still in that business today. The fact is our past cannot keep us from his presence because we come to him through Jesus. Now, Jeremiah 29, 11 to 13, the prophet says, For I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me even half-heartedly. No? When you search for me, how? With all of your heart. Listen, the previous verse in verse 10 reminds the Jews that they were about to go into 70 years of captivity in Babylon for disobeying God's command to let the land rest every seven years. They disobeyed the command for 490 years. Therefore, the Lord said, I'm going to take back those years. I'm going to move you out of the land and I'm going to let the land rest for 70 years straight because you have not obeyed my command. And then the Lord says, in the midst of this severe discipline, I want you to remember that my thoughts towards you are of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Listen, he's saying, even in the disciplinary period, that is your own fault. Remember, I haven't forgotten you. So you can face those times with hope. Now, the same is true for you and me. No matter what we have done or who we have been, if we seek the Lord's face and search for him with all of our hearts, he is going to be found by us. And this, too, is the blessing of the Lord. Amen? Let's look at 7 through 10, and we'll wrap up our time together. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your gates. Uh, lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? Read it with me, please. The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Now, remember what we mentioned earlier about our God perception having the power to change our life perspective. And that means we need to find out all we can about God, his nature and character and how great and awesome he is. Like the things we just read are reminders of the greatness and the power of our God. He is the Lord of armies. He is the king of glory. He is going to come in and has come in to us. And someday the Lord is actually going to come in to the temple that is constructed during the millennium as he will be governing from the throne of David for a thousand years and will be ruling and reigning with him. And to that I say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Now, some see the twice mentioned gates in verses seven and nine as representing the human heart and the heavenly gates. Other commentators see this as predicting Jesus' ascension into heaven through the heavenly gates and his return to Jerusalem, where he'll enter through the eastern gate to rule and reign during that thousand-year period we mentioned. 
Now, other commentators see this from the perspective of the gates representing the judicial center for cities in David's time and the doors representing the smaller passages through the city walls, meaning both open wide the city gates and doors for the Messiah has come. Open the small doors, open the large gates of the city. The Messiah has come. Now, I think there's some merit to all of those interpretations, but I also believe that the meaning here is largely symbolic. Now, the doors to a city would not be described as everlasting doors. Now, what I think it is pointing to is Revelation 21, 22 to 27, where John is talking about the new Jerusalem, where he says, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are what? Saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, there shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, but there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written where? In the Lamb's book of life. Now, I believe we could associate the lifting of gates and doors to this very scene and interpret them as the gates of heaven and the door to eternity. Now, the king of glory is going to come through the gates in Jerusalem. He will enter into the eastern gate to be sure. Yes, the Lord is going to return to the earth according to Revelation 19, and he will be mighty in battle again, not only as he brings to an end the battle of Armageddon, but also at the end of the millennium, when the devil is released for a short time and gathers armies of the earth in rebellion against the Lord, he is going to show himself mighty at that time as well. But the last blessing from our text that we can look forward to, the other things we're already enjoying, but this is something that we have yet to look forward to because our Lord is strong and mighty. And this is our third blessing of the Lord. And it's just this. Listen this morning. The Lord will someday destroy all that harms and hinders us. Someday the Lord is going to destroy all that harms and hinders us. Well, why and how? First of all, because he is the Lord, strong and mighty. He is mighty in battle. Who is the king of glory? He is the Lord of armies. He is the king of glory. Now in Job 9, 4 to 13 We're told that God is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and prospered? He removes the mountains and they don't know when he overturns them in his anger. He shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble. He commands the sun and it does not rise. He seals off the stars. He alone spreads out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He made the bear, Orion, and the Pleiades and the chambers of the south. He does great things past finding out. Yes, wonders without number. If he goes by me, I don't see him. If he moves past, I don't perceive him. If he takes away, who can hinder him? Listen, I like this. Who can say to him, what are you doing? Yet people say that all the time, don't they? God, what are you doing? Or where are you? Listen, God will not withdraw his anger. The allies of the proud lie prostrate beneath him. Now, I want you to think about this this morning. The Palestinians, the Iranians, the Syrians, the Turks, and Lebanon, and a host of other Muslim nations seek the demise of Israel as we sit here this morning. And we've seen 
rocket fire of late to the tune of some 700 rockets fired into Israel in the span of a mere 48 hours. But let me just say this. They will not prevail because it is the Lord strong and mighty who fights on their behalf. Now, the Lord who is mighty in battle is going to come against the forces at the end of his millennial reign, and they don't stand a chance. The accuser of the brethren, who accuses God's people day and night before God, is going to be bound for a thousand years, loose for a little while, and thrown permanently into the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, never to be seen or heard of again. This is the will of God. And nothing and no one is going to stop it. Listen, you can't write hell out of the Bible as many are attempting to uh, to do today. There's a prominent Bible teacher today who believes that hell is just a temporary situation. It's a place to send unbelieving souls for their destruction, and then they simply cease to exist. Well, listen, hell is just as eternal as heaven. And I highly suggest that you choose heaven over hell by being born again. Somebody say, Amen. Now, in 1 Kings 8, 22-23, we're told, then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of the, uh, all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands towards heaven. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God, say no God, in heaven above or on earth below like you, who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants who walk before him. How? With all their hearts. Now. Therefore, our confidence and trust in the Lord should be built up today by these reminders of who God is. He is the Lord strong and mighty, and he is mighty in battle. He is the Lord who keeps covenant promises and mercy with all those who walk before him with all their hearts. 2 Chronicles 16, 9, the first portion of the verse reminds us of this. At the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the people at Calvary Chapel Tustin and the whole earth to show himself strong on whose behalf? Those whose heart is loyal to him. Now, the important thing to note about this is that sometimes those whose hearts are loyal to him mess things up. Hello. Sometimes people whose heart is loyal to him mess things up, do stupid things, do wrong things, break the commandments of God. And Paul said in Romans seven fifteen to 20, for what I am doing, I don't understand. Now, we can just paraphrase that into a way we've all said it. I don't know why I did that. That's the dumbest thing I've ever done. Have you ever said that one? Well, a few of you will jump in, but you're all guilty. Me too. And then Paul says this, for what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it's good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin dwells in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Again, you can't get to heaven by good moral behavior. Nothing good dwells. For to will is present within me. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not do that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Now, that was a pretty clear sentence, right? 
Now, lest we misunderstand what Paul is saying, let's simply summarize it as this. First of all, he's not deflecting responsibility for his own sin. Because he would later write to the Galatians that among the fruits of the Spirit is self-control in Galatians chapter 5. Now, here's what he is saying. That as a person with a heart loyal to God, who wants to do what pleases God, they, like he, are sometimes going to lose a battle with their flesh and fail. Anybody here relate to that? Now, that means that in spite of our past or even current failures, God is faithful to those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Does he discipline those whom he loves? Well, of course he does. As a matter of fact, Hebrews says, if you're not disciplined, that proves you're not his child. And by the way, uh, you know, there's so many things floating around out there and so many people that like to tout things like we're all God's children. No, we're not. We are all the byproducts of God's initial creation, but we are not God's children. You don't have to adopt your own kids. And the Bible clearly teaches the principle of adoption by faith through Jesus Christ. We are not all God's children. You become God's child by becoming born again. John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become sons and daughters of God. You must be born again to become a child of God. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. Now, does he discipline those whom he loves? Does he cast us off forever because of our failures? No, I can answer that question in one word, actually one name, Jacob. He takes those who trip others up and cleans them up and uses them and blesses them because of their heart condition of being loyal to them. Him, rather. Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34 says, Behold, the days are coming, says who? The Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, Though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it where? On their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more, no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Someday, all that has tempted us, all that has sought to harm us, all the efforts of the enemy to hinder us are going to be separated from us forever. What if we mess up between now and then? Well, it's not an if. Because we're going to. We are going to do what we didn't mean to or want to do from time to time. And the devil is going to accuse us before God night and day. I've reminded you in the past, I'll bring it up again this morning. The devil doesn't need to make up stuff about us. He just tells God the truth about us. And that's what he accuses us of. Yet First John 2, 1 and 2, the beloved says this, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Who? Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Listen, the blessings of the Lord include having an advocate with the Father. 
Jesus Christ, the King of glory, who is the Lord strong and mighty, who is the Lord of hosts and who was and is and is to come. Somebody shout hallelujah. Say amen. amen. Do something this morning. Father, we are grateful for the Sunday song. We are thankful for the things that we are reminded of that the Jews were looking forward to that we now enjoy. But we thank you that you have not cast off your people, even though you scattered them among the nations for nearly two millennia. You, by your righteous right hand, by the power and right of your authority as creator, you have brought them back into the land and not allowed them to assimilate into other cultures. You have put them in the land, speaking the language that they spoke when they were there the first time bearing the names that they had at that time as well. And you have brought them back in the land to prove to all of us that you are faithful and that you keep your word. So, Lord, may our reminders this morning increase our confidence in your word. And when we mess up, Lord, I pray that we get up and not stay down. For your word says, though the righteous may fall seven times, they rise again. And listen, let me just say this this morning. I just in in thinking about that great promise that we can get up. Listen, if you have fallen, get up. Don't waste any more time. Just get up. Get up today. If you've been struggling with drugs, stop it. If you've been battling with booze, stop it. Get up. Put it aside. You have the Holy Spirit who is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead living in you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The devil is a liar. He is the accuser of the brethren. And if your heart is loyal to him and you're doing things that you don't want to do or never intended to do, you have the power to stop doing them right here, right now. And turn from them today and never touch them again. You as a Christian don't need to return like a dog to its own vomit and eat what was causing you to perish in the first place. He is the deliverer of the brethren. And whom the Son sets free, he is free indeed. Listen, I know this is true. I've shared with you my past before. I shared with them in Parker, Colorado over the weekend. Listen, I used to be owned by a whiskey bottle, but when God took it from my hand, I haven't picked it up in 38 years and have no desire for it because that's the business God is in. But listen, he gives you the power to turn from what tempts you. Jesus was tempted in every way, yet without sin. And that same power dwells in you. Listen, if you've fallen, get up, get up today and stay up and never go down again. That is what God is offering you this morning. Prodigal, come home. Listen, I've just spent the last two weekends talking about how soon Jesus is coming. Listen, the the Bible teaches that the rapture is an imminent doctrine. It has no signs. It can happen at any moment in time. But let me tell you what we are seeing signs of. We're seeing signs of what happens after the rapture developing right now. So if what happens after the rapture is happening right now, that means the rapture is even at hand, even at the door. It can happen at any moment. Quit messing around with stuff you don't want to do. Break from those things. Stand up. Get up. And quit doing those things, whether it be sexual immorality, whether it be drugs, whether it be booze. The power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And listen, don't let the devil push you around. He is a liar and he is a father of them all. He says, you can't. Jesus says, I did, so you can. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. 
That was the second message for the morning. And let's get back to our prayer. And Father, again, we're grateful for this psalm. And Lord, I pray for any who have been battling a continual battle. Lord, that today that battle would end and they would begin to walk in victory. And thank you. That is a blessing from you. We have the capability to do so. So we give you thanks today for the Sunday psalm. And may this psalm be true for us in the rest of the week, too. And as long as you should tarry before you come get us. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We give you thanks for your word. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. And there was a victorious shout of amen. Amen.